0: Can technology help you get closer to a genuine spiritual experience? Or is using neurofeedback, psychedelics, and virtual reality cheating your way to enlightenment? Today's guest on Mind, Body, and Beyond, Dr. Kate Stockley, explores the next step in spiritual evolution in her book, Spirit Tech, The Brave New World of Consciousness Hacking and Enlightenment Engineering. Let's dive right in. Kate, your book is called *Spirit Tech: The Brave New World of Consciousness Hacking and Enlightenment Engineering*. What is consciousness hacking? The term consciousness hacking came from was was
1: actually coined by um, a man named Mikey Siegel, who actually wrote the foreword to *Spirit Tech*. Um, and he was really just interested in how to um, use the methods that he had, um, methods and skills that he had acquired through being an MIT trained roboticist um, to improve consciousness, to explore consciousness, to um kind Of reach to a more uh, holistic well being sense of consciousness, so um, he wanted to hack <laughs> his own consciousness and that of others. Um, so he created a, um, an international community full of folks who are interested in the same types of goals and called it consciousness hacking. So we borrowed that term, and then there's also the, the second term, enlightenment engineering, was similarly um, coined by that community, folks interested in that type of work, but specifically pretty much um exactly what spirit tech is about was what their goal has been from the beginning
0: what happens in the brain during a spiritual experience
1: that's a that's the million dollar question <laughs> um it seems that there's lots of different things happening you know not all spiritual experiences are the same of course um even just when you're talking about meditation so just taking meditation right we see lots of different Types of meditation, different ways that the um, different um, parts of the brain that are lighting up or dimming down, or meaning in terms of um, things like fMRI imaging and things like that. Um, and so, folks who are interested in hacking the brain <laughs> to um, enhance the types of spiritual experiences that that people are having um, have lots of different um, strategies for doing that, right? Whether that's stimulating different parts of the brain, which Folks who work with brain stimulation have targeted different areas um, or drawing out sort of encouraging different types of brain waves. So there's lots of different signatures or signs that we can see through brain imaging that kind of indicate some sort of spiritual experience might be happening. We kind of match those with folks um, um, reported experience of their spiritual experience. Um, And that's sort of how the science began. Um, but there certainly is not one, one God spot or one type of brain area that holds spirituality. It's a, it's a whole brain experience. So even if you can kind of target to elicit certain types of experiences that we do see again and again that seem to be spiritual, um, that's not to say that that's the only way.
0: Mm. Are these uh, efforts reproducible? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, remarkably
1: so. It's really interesting. Um, So the way that the science began is by studying the brains of expert spiritual professionals, basically, (laughs) masters, right? So we've got like monks and nuns, folks who devote, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours to their spiritual practice, whether that's a meditative practice, a contemplative practice, a prayer practice, um, you know, um, spiritual singing, chanting, things like this. So folks, scientists looked at their brains and said, what is different about their brains, right? Um, and what they found was patterns, right? Again, not the same pattern in every single person's brain, but patterns sort of emerged where it's like, oh, okay, this, this particular area of the brain or that particular area of the brain seems larger or more developed or quieter, in these folks. And so um, using things like brain stimulation and neurofeedback and um, psychedelic drugs or virtual reality sort of stimulation, um, the scientists have started to try to create the type of brain state that we were able to observe in these master spiritual uh, practitioners and see if that can be elicited in brains who haven't spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. And it turns out that, um, that it does seem relatively effective, or at least, um, you know, that, that they can, um, approximate, uh, experience in that direction, right? So this isn't necessarily a replacement for those thousands of hours of practice, but it does seem that, um, that they can reproduce or approximate to a certain extent, kind of, kind of encourage the brain in that direction at least. Yeah, uh,
0: that reminds me that in the book you note that there's a difference of opinion between folks who think that everyone should have access to these epiphanies and other people who think that spiritual experience needs to be earned. Uh, where, yeah. tell me more about the difference and where you might stand.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a really common objection, right, because these experiences are so precious and so um, such an achievement, really, of folks who have devoted a lot of time and effort to mastering their own minds and um, and exploring their spiritual selves. And so it seems sort of strange or cheap or just sort of impossible that you'd be able- to get there with less time and effort just by using a certain type of technology and and it completely makes sense right that there's something kind of crass about that (laughs) or but but the folks who have reached those spiritual states um often they're the ones who who say look humanity is hurting you know um people are suffering and if there's a way to speed up that process. If everybody doesn't have to spend thousands, tens of thousands of hours doing these practices and they can still reach some approximation of the type of peace, um, equanimity, compassion, if we can increase those kinds of things in humans' minds and people's experiences, then we should do it, right? Um, And um, so oftentimes the question is sort of, is this a, a cheap imitation? right? Like certainly folks think, you know, it it can't be the same type of experience, right? That, that, um, the expert master meditators have, for example. Um, but what we see is that, um, and, and I would say it's it's not quite the same, right? There still is required uh, a lot of practice. This is still a practice, even if the technology is helping facilitate that practice or helping you get over some of the, the humps, you know, it's more of a um, training wheels, as opposed to say, a motorcycle that's getting you there, you still have to kind of pedal the bike, mm, yeah. you know, so I think that's a really important thing to remember. Um, so the training wheels are just kind of helping you keep steady, helping you avoid certain pitfalls in a meditative practice or something like that, a prayer practice. Um, so anyways, um, one of the ways that we think, okay, maybe this really is approximating a, a, a particular type of experience that, um, that master spiritual practitioners have, have had over the years is that they try the technologies on these masters, right? Right. And for example, Shinzen Young, who's a, um, a Shingon monk, um, spent many years in Japan studying and practicing. Um, he's part of the, the the team, integral part of the team that is developing an ultrasound brain stimulation headset. You know, long, that's their long term goal. So they're they're experimenting with different protocols, and um, and he was able to receive that stimulation. He was the first kind of guinea pig, <laughs> the first um, study subject. And he he did say that this, this um form of stimulation was the real deal, that it was putting his brain into this st- into the states of consciousness that he recognized as meaningful um and as as transformative. So of course his brain is already primed to reach those states, you know. It's not to say that that maybe the stimulation would have the exact same effect on somebody's brain who hadn't had that practice, but it's a really intriguing and um um, you know, evocative uh, result, experimental result.
0: Tell me more about how that particular technology works. Is it called focused ultrasound stimulation of the brain? Is there a headset or what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: um, focused ultrasound brain stimulation is one of what I think is one of the most exciting forms of brain stimulation um, for, for this arena. Um, but there are actually lots of other forms of brain stimulation too, that folks are interested in experimenting with in terms of, um, uh, as a meditation aid. And there are headsets out, um, electrical stimulation headsets, uh, those Zendo meditation headset is one that's been very popular and people, um, have reported it being very effective for their meditation practice. There's also some mag- magnetic stimulation, but, um, Jay Sanguinetti and Shenzhen Young, who are um, who are leading this lab of researchers at the University of Arizona, um, have been experimenting with focused ultrasound brain stimulation. And what they see is that focused ultrasound waves can penetrate deeper into the brain than um, both magnetic stimulation and electrical stimulation, and it can be more focused as as the Name of the type of stimulation suggests, right? It's focused ultrasound, so it can be more focused to one particular type area, space of the brain, and um, deeper into the brain. So for that reason, um, they were really interested in understanding how or what kinds of um, stimulation could could uh, result from this this technology. Um, and what they've found has been remarkable. Um, they've had really really exciting um, Uh, pilot study results um, and continue to do really interesting research. So their long-term goal is to create a headset um, that folks would be able to have at home, but they also understand that this is a very powerful technology, right? It's brain stimulation. So the idea of having a a brain stimulation headset that's really penetrating pretty deep into your brain um, is something to be cautious about when you're Marketing it to folks to have just in the comfort of their own homes, so they're doing really, really careful research. They're very um, interested in the ethics and the um, the pros and the cons of all of the the, the powerful technologies. Um, and and also, they're really interested in um, providing an, a type of technology that can help people. You know, that can decrease suffering and increase compassion. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a great goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. In, in spirit tech, you also talk about different technologies, such as uh, something called the God helmet. You talk about something called heart sync, Soma breath work. Um, do any of these other technologies have some potential you think is that's exciting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so heart sync, especially, um, and
1: heart rate variability training has been really interesting. Um, That brings us into the conversation of that spirituality and religion is always a very social human endeavor. So, as a scholar of religion myself, um, for me, the rest of my work is all about the incredible incredibly important social dynamics of religion and spirituality. Um, I think that religion and spirituality are an imminently social thing, right? And so it's interesting that spirit tech takes a pretty individualistic approach because, you know, oftentimes the technologies are stimulating just one person's brain at a time. Um, but, um, Things like heart sync, and there's a, a technology called Group Flow that was actually created by Mikey Siegel, the same person that I mentioned earlier who wrote the um, forward to Spirit Tech. He's really interested in developing a, a set of technologies that can be used in different types of way in ritual spaces, and those technologies include things like um, um, breath synchronization training. Um, that's aided with technology. So for example, they might have um, a glowing orb at the center of a ring of people. And the orb is um, is reflecting, is, is representing the shared breath of the folks in the room. So the more synchronized people are breathing together, the, the brighter the, the ball gets and, and then the dimmer it gets as people breathe out. That can also be done with um, heart synchronization. And so that kind of thing, the ability to synchronize heart rates um, and to share space in that way can be incredibly spiritually meaningful for people. Um, They're also interested in um, in incorporating brainwave synchronization training into that kind of space, which I think would just sort of take it into a a next level of, of sort of intimacy and shared experience. So that kind of technology, I think, is really exciting and really gets to, um, the, the heart of what is often, um, um, missing in people's lives. A lot of times folks who are seeking for spiritually meaningful experiences are also lonely and, and that social component is really, really important. And I think, um, and, and it's not to say that the other technologies couldn't also be incorporated into social settings. Absolutely, they could. Brain stimulation, neurofeedback, all of these things really could. But, um, but there's, there's a set of, of people, you know, and Mikey Siegel is right at the core of, of that, who are really interested in developing those social settings. Virtual reality, for example, is another space where um, you've got some, some forms of virtual reality um, spirit tech uh, applications might be things like what what folks call technodelics, which is a sort of a, um, a tech, tech enhanced um, uh, version of basically a psychedelic experience. So there's no drugs involved, no psychedelic drugs involved, but the the virtual reality experience provides visuals and sounds that um, that can trigger a very similar kind of brain state. Sometimes a mystical brain state. And so those are often experienced um, within the individual quietly, or um, or there's some that um, there's one called Sound Self put out by Robert or sorry Robert Robin Arnott, and um, I think it's a it's, it's a pretty brilliant application. It's kind of ex- it's very exciting, I think, um, and effective for people's for for transformative experiences, um, and it uses the sound it's it's um kind of driven or triggered by the sound of your own voice by toning, right? So just kind of mm. chanting, oh, you know, things like this. And then the program produces visuals um inspired by the tone of your voice. And so it's really it's kind of an immersive multisensory experience. Um, and Robin did mention that they're interested in developing this this program to, Facilitate a group experience of something like oh, sound sound sure. self, which I think would be fascinating and 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 really quite possible and really um, it's hard to imagine how that how transformative and interesting and you know just really spiritually meaningful that could be for people. Um, and then, of course, you've got in virtual reality, you've got more traditional religious and spiritual type settings that exist in virtual space. So for example, yoga classes in virtual space or meditation classes with with people um, connected over the internet. And so what you see in your virtual space is basically, you know, their avatar, which sometimes you can make your avatar look quite like you, (laughs) or you can make it look like a, you know, robot or a bunny rabbit. I don't know. Um, But you can also make it look like yourself if you'd like. Um, And so those kinds of spaces and Christian church services, you know, sacraments, baptisms, communion, these kinds of things, just worship, right? Singing and um, being together in space. The virtual reality, what makes it so incredible is that it does actually give your brain and your body a sense of presence. Your brain is really quite convinced that you're there with, with other folks. In that virtual space, right? That's what makes it so um, scary too. And <laughs> if you're yeah, yeah. if you're in a virtual setting, that can be kind of scary. You know, there's there's a lot of popular um, applications like that. You know, walking a plank out in you know on top of a, right. a a city, million miles in the air, and things like that. So, so yeah, those are some other kind of exciting developments. I think
0: that are important to watch out for. When you mentioned this, the sound, I mean, that to me. I almost feel like sound was the original biohacking. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you think of a being in a Sufi zikr or in a you know hearing Hindu bhajans or I mean, of course, you know the the Christian traditions and all that. The sound is just like limitless power comes out of sound. Shared, mm-hmm. s- especially shared sound.
1: Oh, absolutely incredible! I mean, it is it is so easy for very particular types of sounds to bring tears to your eyes immediately to get into your body, to, to just, to resonate, right? Our bodies resonate very easily. Um, And that's kind of interesting to, to actually sort of put it in that context. Again, like as somebody who studies religion, I'm really interested in understanding these technologies in context of the, the history of, of religion and spirituality. And so going all the way back to the beginning, like you said, with shamanic drumming, for example, and chanting, oh, yeah. this is this is really how um mystical and spiritual experiences were generated from the very beginning, right? Yeah. With um with embodied sort of sounds and um and movements. And yeah, so absolutely I think that it's um uh Robin are not design of sound self that um, Technodelic was very inspired, I think. And, and, you know, actually he was inspired to, he had sort of a vision of this technology in a spiritual mystical experience himself. So mm. that makes sense, right? It was inspired from,
0: from the actual real deal. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Kate, you have a chapter called The Scattered Supermarket of Special Spiritual Services. And you mention a phrase spiritual entrepreneur in the book. And you know, when I read that and I heard about these folks gathering at a quote mansion in Silicon <laughs> Valley, unquote, I just kind of thought, oh, here's something else for the very rich. <laughs> yeah. What about the rest of us? Do we is there any potential for the rest of us to get something out of this? these developments.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know the, the term spiritual entrepreneur puts sort of a funny, um, connotation, I think onto, which, which actually I don't think is an an inappropriate connotation. You know, I think that there is something very entrepreneurial about a lot of these ventures, um, some more than others, you know, there's a wide variety of folks who are interested in this space. Right. Um, and, and you're always, no matter what, in business and especially in religion, you're going to have folks who are selling snake oil. It just—it's yep. going to happen, right? Um, and that's again—that's also something that's been with us since the very, very beginning of of religion and spirituality. So it's nothing new. It's nothing that you know. I mean, maybe capitalism makes it—you know—enhances that potential a little bit. But, um, but I would say you know, and maybe maybe because I was fairly. Um, judicious and who I chose to interview and who we chose to kind of include in the book, you know, we really chose to um, include folks who are doing what we think is pretty good work, you know. Um, um, that's not to say that the book is an endorsement of everything we talk about, it's not, it's more of an exploration, but um, but yeah. So, um, you know, the reality of the situation is that tech developments like this cost a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to to do this research. To do it costs a lot of money to do good research. That's why, you know, scientists like Jason Sanguinetti and Shenzhen Young, who are at a at a university doing research, you know, they're, they're constantly applying for grants. They have to have funding to do the good science that's required to make a safe product, right? Um, and then not only that, but you know, then further down the line, once you have the science, then you have to pay somebody you know the engineers and the developers and the designers to design a really um a really solid piece of technology that's actually able to to be effective in helping enhance people's lives you know you don't want something that's a little cheap thing that doesn't have enough um of the important research and development work going into it right so it is an expensive venture some things are more expensive than others of course um but i would say that um At least, you know, at least some, most, I don't know, many of the people that I spoke to, were aware of this and we're concerned about this. And we're sort of saying, you know, um, this is a long term goal in terms because what they really see, what they really want is a, a, a technology that can transform everybody's lives, not just rich people's lives who happen to be the ones who can kind of afford it. Right now. Um, the goal would be to make it available, widely available, free, preferably, right? Um to, to help people who need it. There are, there's a lot of work that's done. Um, you know, thank goodness that a lot of the research work done, it, you know, um brings in populations of folks who really need help. For example, um, you know, veterans with PTSD or something might be part of you know, pilot programs to see, you know, can we actually help decrease the symptoms of something that seems, um, treatment resistant, you know? And so for example, you know, there's a couple chapters on, um, psychedelic medicines. And so that, that work is often done with folks who really, really need it, who might not, who might not, I mean, nobody has access to that because it's illegal at the moment, but, um, and there are, there are folks, you know, I, I, we profiled uh, Richard Souter, Dr. Richard Souter, who does neurofeedback, and he, he gives lots of pro bono um, treatment and meditation training to folks who he's been working with for years and years. Um, and so, you know, it's a both and, I would say. You know, there's a lot of ways in which contemporary spirituality is an ex- expensive hobby, <laughs> an expensive venture. You know, I mean, I go to yoga classes, they're expensive, yeah. you know, and, um, there's all sorts of, of spiritual, um, products and objects that material items that people are buying, you know, crystals and this and that. So, um, you know, but, but I do think that, um, there was at least a lot of talk about these long-term goals of making this, uh, genuinely accessible to all, um, and very inspiring, I would say, you know, that was sort of an inspiring part of their message that's saying, you know, we can't, at one um, uh, conference that I went to about, uh, specifically about psychedelics, but there's a lot of overlap between um, the psychedelic conversations and um um kind of traditional wired technology, <laughs> electrical technologies and things like that. Um and they were talking a lot about the psychedelic renaissance, right? And p- people were really excited, like, oh, finally we can we can actually explore these incredibly powerful um medicines again. You know, they've been, they've been illegal and faux pas for, for so, so long. Um, so people have been deprived of their potential beneficials. Um Features, and one man stood up who was very clearly—you know—I was sort of new, new to this space, but I could tell right when he stood up that he was highly respected. Right, Um, it it, it was clear that he had been in the field for a long time um, because when he started talking, he was talking almost kind of like, "All right, everybody, calm down." Like, say (laughs) this is—you know, this is the Renaissance, you know. Um, And I thought, "Oh, this is a little awkward." But people were people were very very appreciative of what he was saying, and so by the end of his talk, I mean he had he spoke beautifully about how we can't there there won't be a true renaissance until this is widely available to everybody who needs it. He called it a birthright, you know, to have access mm-hmm. to these kinds of healing experiences, and it was, it was really beautiful. in the whole room, you know, he got a standing ovation. So, oh, <laughs> so beautiful, was, yeah, yeah. There was definitely. Um, you know, an ethos that uh, of folks who, who just recognizing that that is, um, that's a, it's a, it's an issue right now. And, you know, hopefully in the um, long term goal, the tech will be available. Yeah.
0: On today's episode of Mind, Body and Beyond, I spoke to Dr. Kate Stockley, co author of Spirit Tech, the brave new world of consciousness hacking and enlightenment engineering. Visit mindbodybeyond.co for more episodes and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player. Thanks for listening.